The Powers on Sports Podcast is brought to you by TicketSmarter.com and Titan Home Lending. Enjoy the podcast. Larry Bird's not walking through that door. We're talking about practice. Not a game, not a game, not a game. We're talking about practice. It's my team. It's my quarterback. A kick. It is To beat the man, you gotta beat the man. The two-one swung line drive left field. One run is in. Here's Kevin Green. Here's the run of the play. This is the Powers on Sports podcast. All right, welcome in Powers on Sports podcast. Appreciate you finding us on your favorite podcast platform. I'm your host, Jason, down here in Tampa. We have reached the second week of November. We are about three weeks, two, actually about two weeks away from Thanksgiving. Hard to believe. The Christmas music has started at on your favorite little radio station, online. The holiday decorations will be going up really soon at a lot of places. So, we are getting into the festive spirit of the holidays as we again approach Thanksgiving. High school playoffs are beginning for me this week in the state of Florida. I've got a playoff high school game to do in Orlando from over here in Tampa. So that will be uh, fun. We got a little, like I said, playoffs start all over the state and a lot of places around the country. Their high school playoffs are getting going. Lots of stuff going on in the sports world, professional sports world. We've got some baseball news. We've got some NFL news. College football rankings are out for the second the second round of rankings. Uh, we're gonna have we're gonna institute a new segment on the podcast. New segment. Timing. How to keep the time. Whatever we want, I need to come up with a better name, but Coaches and analytics and coaches and timing decision. We had three I'm going to talk about this week of just major coaching gaffes by college and NFL coaches that had direct impacts in their teams losing. Again, I hear all these arguments about analytics and go for it, go, go for it all the time on fourth down. It's the percentages. Well, here's what I'll say about analytics and then we'll get to some, some news and notes. Analytics are good for about the first two and a half quarters of a game. I can live with you if you're using the analytics to make decisions. But once we get to the late third quarter, fourth quarter of a football game, it's a whole new set of game management strategies. Limited possessions, time and score are way more vital than they were in the second quarter. So decision making has to be very calculated and very on top of things when it comes to timing, when to kick, when not to you know when to punt, when to take the points, when to go for two, all those kind of things are things. It's a completely different set of variables once you get into the fourth quarter of a, of a college or a pro football game. And I'm going to give you three examples of how coaches just completely botched, in my opinion, the timing there uh, late in the game of their particular games. Two two NFL games and a college game. So. Um, but yes, we're going to start a new we're going to start a new segment each podcast from now till the end of the football season outlining good and bad in the time management world 
on Sundays and Saturdays throughout the football world, or maybe even a Thursday night or a Sunday night or a Monday night, depending on which game it is. So, all right. Again, appreciate your finance. If you haven't already done so, hit that hit that subscribe button in your favorite podcast plat on your podcast platform. Also, remember you can find me on Twitter or X at JPO Sports. You can also find the video content of the of the of our interviews on my YouTube channel, the Jason Power Sports Channel, and our guest this week, celebrating 30 years of him winning the Heisman Trophy, national champion. College Football Hall of Famer, NBA first round draft pick, very charitable, state championship high school basketball coach. Who is it, you think? Well, I gave you kind of the hint. 30 years ago, he won the Heisman Trophy. That would be 1993. Florida State football quarterback Charlie Ward is going to be our guest we're going to talk to Charlie. Had a great conversation with Charlie this week and talking about the Miami Florida State game, which is this week. Rivalries, playing against so many Hall of Famers, you know, practices at Florida State, Coach Bowden. What would his value be in NIL these days? Kind of the advent of the shotgun fast break offense. Because if you remember back in 93, Florida State was kind of the first team that really had to spread offense, shotgun, all that kind of good stuff. And we'll talk about Charlie Ward not getting drafted in the NFL and his thoughts about that whole process and how all that came about. So uh, great conversation with Charlie Ward coming up here in just a few minutes. Again, Heisman Trophy winner, uh, Florida State football quarterbacking legend, first ever Heisman Trophy winner at Florida State, first ever national championship team at Florida State, first ever African-American quarterback to start at Florida State. And I even had the honor to be his teammate. He actually even held for me in college when I played at Florida State. He was my holder when we would do warm-up, when we would be, you know, before practice would start and we would do special team stuff. Charlie Ward was one of my holders. Him and Danny Cannell were the holders for me at Florida State. So a little Florida State uh, love there for my guy, Charlie Ward. Again, you'll enjoy the conversation we have with Charlie here in just a few minutes. So, all right, let's start with a quick, couple quick notes in Major League Baseball. A couple of managerial hirings this week, three of them. Craig Council goes to the Cubs, record contract, five years, $40 million. He kind of throws a wrench in everything. Everybody thought he was going to maybe go to the Mets. He leaves Milwaukee, goes down the street to the Cubs, which is about 100 miles away. Unbeknownst to David Ross, who was the manager of the Cubs, Ross gets sent packing very unexpectedly. Ross had a good has had a good couple of years with the Cubs. Haven't made the playoffs yet, but has definitely uh, stabilized the, the the franchise. Council's a really good manager. Has not had a great postseason record lately, but a really good regular season manager. So Council to the Cubs. David Ross out. Interesting uh, move there by the Cubs as they continue their rebuild. Steven Vogt takes over for Francona in Cleveland. Who's Steven Vogt? Remember him? He was a catcher for a long time. Uh, long-time catcher for the for the Mets and the A's. Played a lot of years. Was the bullpen coach last year in Seattle. He takes over for Francona in Cleveland. And then you have Carlos Mendoza, the New York Yankee bench coach, takes over for Buck Showalter in New York. Obviously, uh, lots of speculation that David Stearns, the new president of baseball ops, was going to hire Council, who we, who he hired, who was with his boss, who he uh, worked with in Milwaukee. That does not happen. 
So they go they go to the bench route to the the, the unknown first time manager. They go Carlos Mendoza in New York City, new hire for the New York Mets. So there's some uh, pl- there'll be plenty of guys here in the fo- next week, a couple of weeks as far as before free agency starts that won't have their options picked up and all that stuff. You'll see a lot of those names uh, and disseminated and news little nuggets dropped here in the next couple of weeks of guys whose contracts and options are picked up and guys that opt out of their contract to become free agents. Remember, baseball free agency starts in like mid-November at the baseball meeting. So so that's uh, that's where we are on the baseball front. Let's go to college football. Rankings came out. Uh, the second round of rankings came out. Exactly the same top six as the first round. Ohio State, Georgia, Michigan, Florida State, 1, 2, 3, 4. Uh, Washington, 5. Oregon, 6. Alabama, 7. I'm sorry, Texas 7, Alabama 8. So no changes there. Um, You had the impressive performance by Washington last week going to USC and winning the track meet with my boy Michael Penix. Had them, by the way, on the picks. Um, If you check out the radio show, the Press Box radio show, I co-host every Wednesday. Pressboxradio.com is the place you can find it. We are on 20 stations throughout the Southeast. But again, pressboxradio.com is where you can listen to it live or on demand. So I definitely encourage you to listen on Wednesdays because I am one of the co-hosts with my man Mike Grace, Bart Heitch. I give out Power 6 picks where I give you 6 picks a week. Went 4-2 and two the last 2 weeks, so I'll give 6 more picks out on Wednesday of this week. So you can, if you're interested in uh, uh, picks for the weekend, we give out 6 picks every Wednesday. And uh, so, you, again, you can listen to it live or on demand. Pressboxradio.com is the place. Texas escapes versus Kansas State. And I'm going to get to Kansas State here when I'm done talking with our with our time management section. Uh, more drama at Michigan. A lot of speculation about the big, is the Big Ten going to implement a penalty against Harbaugh, potentially suspending him? Um, will they? What will, what will the Big Ten do? Uh, you won't see the NCAA do anything until after the season, but c- the Big Ten could impose a suspension to Jim Harbaugh. And there's a lot of speculation that they might do so. So we'll see how that – but remember, Michigan's got Penn State this week. Um, Alabama LSU last week, you had a, a – you know, I think it was 42-28, really good game in Tuscaloosa. Um, you know, Jalen Milrow, who we talked to Chris Stewart last week, voice of the Crimson Tide – Part of the Crimson Tide Sports Network, he talked to you, talked to us about uh, the importance of and the improvement of Jalen Milrow, and he played really well on Saturday. Four rushing touchdowns, threw the ball well. So great performance by Milrow to get uh, Alabama to the finish line. They got another. Uh, they go to Kentucky this week. Uh, Georgia beats uh, Miss Missouri in a very competitive game in Athens last week. Georgia's going to host Ole Miss this week, then go to Tennessee next week. So they're by no means out of the woods. And like I said, you saw Washington. Uh, Washington still got a gauntlet of games to go. They got Oregon State, Washington State. Uh, they got Utah coming. So Washington is by no means out of the woods yet either. So a lot of lots to be determined. Uh, obviously, you still have Ohio State, Michigan coming up. Um, so lots of stuff to still be determined in the college football rankings, but no change in the second week of the rankings as we move through the college football season. As far as we got about, I think we have three more rank, set of rankings to go before the uh, playoff final four are set. You have a potential doomsday scenario with five undefeated teams potentially, but uh, most likely that probably will not happen. But you never, never know, and which one lost team will potentially be left out. Uh, you have a very 
realistic possibility that Alabama and Texas could be one-loss teams. How do you handle that? If Alabama were to beat Georgia, but Texas beat Alabama in a regular season in Tuscaloosa. So you got a lot of, lot of drama still going. And uh, Obviously, you have Florida State-Miami this week. Again, we're going to talk to Charlie about the, uh, the rivalry and just the history of that a little bit. So again, uh, Miami's not doing great, but again, still a dangerous game for Florida State. Uh, we'll see what the health of their two star receivers are who didn't play last week at Pitt. I would imagine they probably rested them last week in order for them to be back for this game at for, for Miami. Uh, but we will see there how that goes. So um, let's get to a little NFL. Last week probably was the best week of the NFL season, and just from start to finish from the nine from the nine thirty game over in Frankfurt. You had a really good. Uh, it wasn't a great game, but it ended up being a good finish between Kansas City and Miami. Kansas City wins twenty one fourteen. Tua drops the snap on fourth down. Uh, that kind of ends their hopes. Miami comes back from twenty one down to twenty one fourteen. Had a throw in the end zone, which Cedric Wilson was open in the end zone, but Tua grossly underthrew it. I don't know what happened on the play, but. Two under threw the ball by like 10 yards, and Wilson was open for what would have been a touchdown. Would have tied the game, but doesn't happen. Uh, so Kansas City survives. They go on their bye week. Uh, you had the uh, you had a great game. You had the Dallas-Philadelphia uh, game, which is a great finish. And we'll talk about Mr. McCarthy here in a couple of minutes as well. You had uh, the Josh Dobbs story where he went to Atlanta, did not practice all week after just being acquired by the Vikings. Did not take one practice snap. Jaron Hall, the starter, gets hurt like 10 plays into the game. Dobbs comes into the game, and they pull out a, a dramatic win, 31-28 in Atlanta. He throws the game-winning touchdown late in the game. Doesn't know the coach is having to tell him the plays through the headset of what to do. Players are telling him in the huddle what the, what the routes are. So just a great story by Dobbs. Cool little story about Josh Dobbs. I actually knew his uncle when I lived in Birmingham, uh, Josh Dobbs' uncle lived in Birmingham. I used to hang out at the little same little uh, sports bar that he used to frequent regularly too. So I got to know him a little bit. Josh Dobbs' uncle was a Birmingham guy, so got to know him a little bit. But uh, good for Josh Dobbs. One thing Josh Dobbs has done for himself in this last, the, the way he handled his situation, getting traded from Cleveland to Arizona. He was a starter, remember, the first seven or eight games in Arizona. He is he has basically solidified his his career as a, as a will be on a NFL roster for the next seven eight years no doubt about it he is the ability to go in mesh mesh with his teammates pick up a playbook in such a fast time and be productive will will pretty much I won't say guarantee but highly likely that he will be on a NFL roster for many many years as a backup quarterback a perfect veteran backup guy that'll make a hell of a living in the NFL for the next seven or eight more years he's already been in the league six or seven years um, again a guy who can come in and spot start has done a good job in Minnesota. He's going to be the starter in Minnesota the rest of the way. Uh, they're not going back to Jaron Hall. He's the guy with no Kirk Cousins. They've won four in a row, so they're in the playoffs right now if it started today. So kudos to Josh Dobbs for the great work he did. Uh, Tennessee has announced Will Levis will be the starter going forward in Tennessee. Tannehill will stay on the bench. Levis comes to Tampa next uh, this Sunday. Uh, he made his first start last Thursday night in Pittsburgh on Thursday night football. They fall to the Steelers late. But again, Levis has played pretty well so far. Um, Carson Wentz has signed with the uh, 
the Los Angeles Rams. They got rid of Brett Rippon, who was terrible uh, on Sunday in Green Bay. Released Rippon, signed Carson Wentz. They're on a bye this week. We don't know what the status of Stafford is after the bye, but Carson Wentz is now in Los Angeles to back up Carson to back up uh, Matt Stafford. Uh, you got the disaster in New York with Daniel Jones blowing out his knee in Vegas. He's done. Probably going to see Matt Barkley. Tommy DeVito is just a guy that can't play in the NFL. I'm sorry. Uh, he can't play. Uh, you're going to see Matt Barkley here, whether it's this week or next week, the absolute latest. Matt Barkley will be the quarterback. The Giants are going to have a disaster on their hands. They're probably going to win no more than four games. They will be drafting in the top five, and we'll be taking a quarterback next year. Uh, no Daniel Jones. Obviously, you had the uh, coaching change in Vegas. Aiden O'Connell named the starter there. They had an impressive win over the Giants, who are no good, but still – they looked much more buttoned up, organized. Aiden O'Connell played well. Jimmy G, not going to be uh, playing anytime soon unless there's an injury. Report came out that Josh McDaniels was the only person in the organization that wanted to sign Jimmy G, that the GM wanted no part of signing Jimmy G in the offseason. But apparently McDaniels had uh, veto power as far as personnel. So that's kind of the beginning of the end there. Uh, and Jimmy G uh, obviously won't be playing in Vegas anymore unless there's an injury. So... Um, a lot of backup quarterbacks playing, not a lot of good football out of those guys so far. Uh, you still got Bajent playing for the Bears. We'll see if Justin Fields is back. Probably won't play Thursday night. Probably will be back the following week. You got a situation here in Tampa. If the Bucs continue to lose, you will see Kyle Trask in the next couple of weeks, in my opinion, if the Bucs lose two more games. A brutal loss for the Buccaneers, by the way. Uh, we're going to talk about Todd Bowles a little bit in the time management as well. But uh, great week of football, a lot of great games. That was probably the game of the week was Tampa and Houston. What a job by C.J. Stroud, the quarterback, that, the rookie quarterback that has gotten it right. Five touchdowns, 470 passing. You know, Bryce Young continues to struggle miserably in Carolina through two more uh, uh, out routes for touchdowns last week. So Houston is ecstatic about where they're at with 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 C.J. Stroud. And you have to be uh, wondering about Carolina and Bryce Young a little bit. Uh, they they continue to struggle as well. So um, Deshaun Watson back for Cleveland. They had a ho-hum win over Arizona. So we'll see where Cleveland is this week as they go to Baltimore. Um, so that's that will be an intriguing matchup. A uh, couple of, of the other matchups to, to be aware of. This week you're going to have San Francisco going to Jacksonville. That will be a very good game with both teams coming off a bye. So that will be interesting to see how... How that unfolds, will San Francisco be healthy? Will Debo Samuel be back? Uh, we'll see about that. Obviously, the health, the two weeks off will help Purdy. Uh, that will be an interesting game there. You obviously got Doug Peterson and, uh, and Lawrence playing really well in Jacksonville um, against, against San Francisco. And you obviously got Cleveland and Baltimore on Sunday at 1 o'clock in Baltimore. The Ravens are on fire. Crushing people. They crushed Detroit. They crushed Seattle. They got that Cleveland defense coming to town with Deshaun Watson. And you have uh, you know nice win by Cincinnati last week against Buffalo. But again, uh, not a great schedule for, for this week. The late game this week is going to be pretty bad. You have no good late games. You got the Lions and the Chargers. It's probably the best late game on the calendar. Sunday night's a disaster with uh, the Jets in Vegas. And then Monday night, you got Denver going to Buffalo. So it ain't a great schedule in the NFL. Two good games at 1 o'clock with uh, San Francisco, Jacksonville, Baltimore, Cleveland. Um, and then the Sunday nighter, Zach Wilson is just a disaster with the Jets. Can't play. Um, you know, stop. Let's stop 
trying to make this guy try to be something he's not. He's not good. He is not good enough to play in the National Football League. His football IQ is is below average, if not uh, off the chart below average. His awareness on the field is terrible. He can't complete the gimmies. Too many gimme misses. Um, but he just let's let's stop trying to make Zach Wilson out to be something he's not. He's Jamarcus Russell uh, without a little bit of the baggage. He's not good. He will be out of this league in a year. Uh, just don't see this guy uh, maturing. Uh, and the Jets are, 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 again, they're in a bad spot. The defense is good enough, but they just don't have any offensive firepower, and the quarterback is killing them. Still hearing all the rumors about will Rodgers come back. If the Jets are not in the hunt, Rodgers won't play it down. If in the next six, seven, six weeks, if the Jets aren't in the six or seven hole in the playoff bid, you won't see you won't see Rodgers in the mix. But if they are, I could see Rodgers playing week 16, week 17, something like that if they're in the mix. Um, he makes it sound like the recovery is going tremendously well with the Achilles, but we shall see as we move progress through the winter months here, November, early December. Uh, so we shall see if there's an Aaron Rodgers miracle with the Achilles. Um, all right, last segment. I want to, two more segments I want to get to. I'm going to give you some picks for the week. Uh, I'm going to give you three picks, and then we're going to do a little time management uh, segment that I want to uh, talk about. All right, picks this week. I like Pittsburgh minus three at home against Green Bay. I think uh, Jordan Love's going to struggle on the road in Pittsburgh. Give me the Steelers minus the three at home. Uh, I like Tampa at home. They've, they're due to win a game here. Give me the Buccaneers. I think they're probably going to be a two or three point favorite at most against Tennessee. I'll take Tampa at home. And in the college, I also like, and I'm going to take Vegas. Vegas is the team I like at home on Sunday night against Zach Wilson in that it'll be a low scoring game. The Vegas won't score a ton, but I think Vegas will figure out a way to get it done. Antonio Pierce is the coach. Uh, give me Vegas at home plus one and a half against the Jets. So Bucks, Vegas, and Pittsburgh are the three games that I like uh, in the pro pro docket. And now let's get to our our new segment: How to keep the time. Maybe I ought to call that. Maybe that ought to be the name: How to keep the time. Three three scenarios and incidents involving coaches and, and just horrific analytics slash time management decisions. Let's start Saturday, Austin. Overtime, Kansas State and Texas. Kansas State jumped out to a huge lead. Kansas State comes all the way back to tie the game. They're in overtime. Texas has kicked a field goal in overtime, and Kansas has fourth and goal from the four-yard line. You do not go for it on fourth and four from the four-yard line, down three points in Austin. You are in the in the hunt for the Big 12 title. Okay, you've got one conference loss. Fourth and four from the four, fourth and goal from the four, you kick the field goal and go to the second overtime. Fourth down from the four-yard line eliminates any chance to run the ball. You have to throw the ball. Will Howard, not a great passer for Kansas State. On the road, you kick the field goal. You go to the second overtime. You try to score a touchdown to put the pressure back on Texas. If you're on the one-yard line, I can live with going for the win. Maybe the two because you can still run the ball there. But on the four-yard line, you kick the field goal. A Just a disastrous uh, decision by Kleiman, who's a great, really good coach. They got a good program, but just a terrible decision, in my view, not kicking the field goal there. You put your whole season on the line in one play. I don't like it um, one bit. And, of course, they didn't make it. Howard scrambles, falls down. Texas wins, keeps their, their playoff hopes alive. Eliminates Kansas State from the uh, Big 12, uh, you know, 
they could still potentially make the Big 12 title game, I guess. But they're going to be uh, just a I, I just hated the call for Chris Kleiman. Kick the field goal. I know you had some field goal issues earlier, but your guy made a 45-yarder to send it to overtime. You kick the 25-yard field goal. 22-yard field goal and go to overtime number two. That was that was disaster number one with the clock and analytics. Number two, let's go to the Tampa Bay-Houston game. In a shootout game, Bucks down 33-30 with 49 seconds left in the game. First down on the 14-yard line following a fumble review that puts the ball at the 14. Probably not supposed to be at the 14. Probably should have been at the 12, but we're not going to quibble about a couple yards. Todd Bowles elects to use his final timeout instead of utilizing a 10-second runoff, which would have taken the clock from 49 to 39. You you absolutely milk the clock. You have a field goal in the bag to tie the game. At best, you win the game, but at worst, you tie the game and you leave little to no time for Houston to go kick a game-winning field goal or potentially score a touchdown, which, hint, hint, they scored a touchdown. Todd Bowles uses his final timeout with 49 seconds left. You had two minutes of review time to draw up a play, call the play. No need to waste your last timeout, which with 39 seconds and one timeout, you can run five or six plays easily anywhere on the field you want because you have a timeout and still and, and milk the entire clock and win the game with a touchdown. Bucks score a touchdown the first play after the review down to 46 seconds. They now have no timeouts. Bucks go up 37-33. He, 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 he. We like that if you're a Bucks fan. But you leave 46 seconds on the clock to a quarterback that has decimated your defense all day long. Terrible decision. Well, guess what happens? C.J. Stroud with two timeouts, which the other part of this equation is if the Bucks don't use their timeout, you're going to force Houston to use their timeouts on defense potentially to when it gets when when you have the clock at 39 seconds, which the clock would have started at 39 on the ready for play, so the Bucks could have burned even some more time uh, off the clock and still gotten five or six plays off, which would have forced Houston to use their timeouts on defense, which they wouldn't have had them on offense to go win the game. So Houston has 46 seconds, two timeouts. They methodically get down the field, get to about the about the 40 yard line, use their two timeouts. Then they throw a 25-yard uh, corner route, which what the Buccaneer defensive secondary is doing, I have no idea. Letting the guy catch a corner route and get out of bounds when you're playing zone defense. And then, of course, C.J. Stroud hits Nathaniel Dell on a, on a skinny post. Game-winning touchdown, six seconds to go. Uh, all the credit to C.J. Stroud for taking advantage, but a lousy job by Todd Bowles in managing the, the clock. Should have absolutely taken the 10-second runoff and kept your timeout, which then you could have used on defense potentially to get your defense in order once they got to the 15-yard line late in the game. So bad job by Todd Bowles. Not looking. Everybody's screaming in Tampa here for Bowles to be fired. That's not going to happen. That ain't happening in season, so let's stop with that nonsense. It's not a fireable offense, but it's a lack of understanding the clock and understanding the time situation of the game. You either win the game or you put milk the clock down substantially to where Houston can't go win the game with a touchdown in 15 seconds, having to go 75 yards. So bad job by Todd Bowles and the whole staff there handling the clock in Tampa. Third third one I want to get to is Mike McCarthy in Philadelphia. Philly's up 28-17 with 10 minutes to go in the game. Very good game between both teams. Dallas has fourth and goal on the two. 
You kick a field goal, you get stay in the game and stay within one possession. You know you can't let Philadelphia score again no matter what, so you have you should be kicking the field goal with 10 minutes left in the game to get within one score. Well, guess what happens? Dallas doesn't kick the field goal. They go for it on fourth and two. The kid catches the touchdown, but uh-oh, not a touchdown because his knee's down at the half-yard line. Guess what? No points. You're still down 28-17. Dallas holds three and out, which they would have could potentially would have done at 28-20, but now it's 28-17. Dallas holds them. They get the ball back. They go down the field and score. Now it's 28-23. Go for two, which is the right thing to do. Guess what? Our buddy Dak Prescott steps out of bounds on the two-point play. So you've now not taken advantage of the field goal. If you kick the field goal earlier, score the six points, now it's 28-26 to with five or six minutes left in the game. But now it's 28-23. So Philadelphia again, Dallas holds. Philadelphia has to punt late in the game. And... Again, all you would need now is a field goal to win the game. Had you kicked the first field goal at the 10-minute mark, you'd be down by two points instead of down by five and have to score a touchdown. Well, guess what Dallas does? They get all the way down the field, first and goal at the six, 25 seconds left in the game, but you have to score a touchdown instead of being able to kick a field goal at the line, the last play of the game with a field goal kicker who hasn't missed a kick since week one. Dallas would win the game 29-28, but of course Dallas doesn't do that. They commit a false start. Dak Prescott takes a bad sack. Then they mismanage the clock after the sack by trying to run another play instead of grounding the ball, which would have gave them two throws at the end zone. But they try to run another play, which Dak throws it out of the end zone. Now you have to throw a Hail Mary fourth down play from the 30-yard line with five seconds left in the game or eight seconds, whatever it was. And Dak Prescott throws a ball to the four-yard line that CeeDee Lamb catches and gets tackled at the three. So... Kick the field goal when you're down 11. You stay within one possession. You would have scored down, would have been down two. And then you would have kicked the game-winning field goal and won the game 29-28. Typical Dallas figures out a way to lose the game. Clock management issues, analytics, whatever you want to call it. Stop being stupid NFL coaches and do the right thing. Kick the field goal. So there you go. Managingthetime.com segment has commenced for week one. We will have some more uh, examples next week, both good and bad. I want to find good examples too. And for everybody that says analytics is the only way to go, I would just say this and reply to me on Twitter at JPO Sports. Show me all the instances where going for two, not kicking field goals, going for it on fourth down have turned into all these victories. I don't see a lot of evidence of that. I'm sure there's a couple of examples, but I don't see the overwhelming evidence of why this is the case. And thus, take the points in the fourth quarter. The fourth fourth quarter is a new set of circumstances. Analytics cannot be valued the same as they were in the first and second quarter once you're into the fourth quarter with time and score as the variables that are against you. So there you have it. Charlie Ward coming up, Heisman Trophy winner, 1993, Florida State legend, New York Knicks point guard. Going to tell some great stories about Van Gundy, about the the rivalry with the Knicks and the Heat, uh, Alonzo Mourning, all those kind of good stuff there with Charlie. And what would Charlie Ward be worth in the NIL world, in today's world, back in 1993? Can you imagine Charlie Ward, Florida State, high-flying offense, 
all the all the things he was doing back in the early '90s that other people weren't doing. What would Charlie Ward be worth on the NIL market in 1993? So enjoy my chat with Charlie Ward. We'll be back in just a minute with Charlie Ward, '93 Heisman Trophy winner, national champion. Now a word from Titan Home Lending. Are you in the market for a new home? Are you looking to get into a, a single-family residence, condo, townhouse, duplex, whatever it is? If you need financing help to get pre-approved, which you need to do, reach out to Titan Home Lending and Jason Powers. We'll get you approved in less than 24 hours. We'll get you qualified, figure out what you can afford, and we will get you in a position to be able to make that offer. So reach out to me, Jason Powers, Titan Home Lending. We can help you with an FHA loan, a VA loan if you're a veteran, a conventional loan, a bank statement loan. We can help you with a investment property, a second home. Whatever their financing needs are, reach out to me, Titan Home Lending and Jason Powers, 205-790-1404. As we roll into the holiday season of November and December, and you are looking to either buy a gift or potentially go in person to see your favorite NFL game, college football, Major League Baseball, the World Series is wrapping up, NHL season is just underway, and now the NBA. Ticketsmarter.com is your place to go for tickets on the secondary market. Whether it's the app, the Ticketsmarter.com app, it is the ideal place to buy tickets on the secondary market. And I've got a special code for you to save you some money. Powers10 is the code. Use Powers10 if you wanna save 10 bucks on a purchase of $100 or more, or you can use the code Powers20 and save $20 on a $300 purchase. Again, you can use this code as many times as you'd like all over the country, whether it's the NBA, the NFL, the college football season wrapping up, bowl games, college football playoff, Whatever it is, Ticketsmarter.com and the Ticket Smarter app is the place to go. All right. All right, welcome into a special simulcast edition of the Powers on Sports and Florida Football Insiders podcast. We are so honored to bring you the 1993 Heisman Trophy winner, national champion, 2006 College Football Hall of Famer, and a guy that everybody knows in the world can and, and hard to believe it is his 30th anniversary of winning the Heisman Trophy this year, Mr. Charlie War. We really appreciate you joining us, Charlie. I appreciate you having me, uh, Jason, on the Powers Own Sports. Appreciate you being here. We really, we really uh, are thrilled to have you. And uh, Charlie was a teammate of mine back in the day. I was, I was, I was a nobody on the Florida State team back then. But uh, Charlie was uh, such a, a, a awesome teammate and just a great, great guy to be around and all that good stuff. Want to want to ask you first? Can you believe it's been thirty years since you're you're going to be the thirtieth anniversary of you winning the Heisman Trophy? Can you believe it's been that long of, of time that's gone by? Um, no, I mean not really. I mean, once I start adding up those years, though, um, it comes pretty quickly thirty. So. <laughs> But I'm I'm grateful that I get an opportunity to be here to see it and uh, be a part of it. Uh, Thirty years, uh, being able to uh, look back over the career um, and see all the many opportunities and blessings I were afforded through the people that I kind of came in contact with, and also the experiences uh, that I had over those years. 
uh, have been very memorable. Yeah, I would imagine this year there will probably be some, and I, and I don't, you can explain. I'm, I would imagine the Heisman Trophy Committee here, which in about a month will be presenting their Heisman Trophy, will probably be honoring you to some level and reminiscing of the 30 years. What is one of the – tell the audience, forget about the monetary stuff or whatever that might may or may not be. What's the coolest perk from being a Heisman Trophy winner? What's a perk that maybe the the average fan would have no idea that's just a really cool perk of, of being a Heisman Trophy winner? Uh, well, I mean, you get an opportunity to be around uh, all the Heisman winners, especially during the Heisman weekend. Um, and, you know, it's – you know, you're, you're international. Your name is international in a lot of ways. A lot of people know what the Heisman Trophy is. Uh, and, you know, that's, you know, you, you're generational because, you know, you go into elementary school, uh, kids may not know uh, who you are from, you know, their perspective. They know the guys is here today. Uh, but when you mention that you're a Heisman Trophy winner, you know, they immediately – you know, go to knowing who, what the Heisman Trophy is. Right. And so it's, uh, you know, it's a, it's a good deal to be able to have, uh, you know, being, being a part of the Heisman family. Um, it gives you opportunities to be able to uh, help others for sure. Very cool. All right. I want to get, a, I want to get a thought or two on coach Bowden. Obviously he's passed in the last couple of years. Just give me a thought or two on coach Bowden and, Obviously, you know, we know what kind of great football coach he was and 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 the great things he did for for the university. Talk about what he did for you and some of the opportunities, maybe the the belief he had in you. I mean, people don't some people may not know your story. You didn't really get to play until your junior year. Very different than today's world of college football. You kind of had to sit behind the pipeline of quarterbacks that came through FSU uh back in those days. Talk about what the thought what coach Bowden meant to you just more maybe more off the field than it was on the field. Well, just the way he lived his life. I mean, he was a, you know, faith, family, and football was uh, his three main uh, goals. Right, in right. Life. And uh, he lived them. You know, that was more of an example than anything else. You know, he lived whatever he spoke. And, of course, he's not perfect like none of us. Uh, but he was just a genuine guy. He cared for his players. Um, and, you know, I was grateful that I had opportunity to play for him for five years. And, of course, after that, you have a lifelong uh, bond with him. And he was very instrumental in helping me, you know, navigate my way once I got into the head, co I mean, head coaching ranks of uh, high school football. And, and so that was very encouraging and uplifting to be able to reach out to him and him giving me some words of encouragement or wisdom on, you know, being a leader at that, in that, that area. Um, and, you know, like I said, it wasn't just me. It was a lot. I mean, all the guys that he, he coached. Sure. Sure. You know, he, he has a genuine heart for, you know, the kids that he coached and, you know, it was stemmed from his love for Jesus Christ. Talk about how, and also you had the great thrill to play for your dad in high school too. Obviously, you don't know Tom. Charlie went to school at Thomas Central High School in Thomasville, Georgia, which is thirty or thirty minutes or so uh, uh, in, in, 
away from Tallahassee, so very close to to where you grew up. Talk about playing for your dad in high school and just that that how and then that transition, obviously, to going to play for Coach Bowden, just the fun part of playing for your dad in high school. Well, getting an opportunity to play for him, of course. I mean, I I watched him as a young kid growing up. I uh, went to practices, went to games. So I was in the environment that he was in and just his genuine love for uh, his student athletes as well, uh, taking them home, um, you know, being a father figure for those that weren't fathers and also those that, that had fathers. You know, he was a village dad. And so it was just encouraging to be able to see it, you know, from that perspective, but also, you know, see the work ethic uh, the discipline that he had uh, at home, you know, coming home and, you know, grading papers. Right. All he had after practice. Uh, we spent our time mainly watching sports. That was our way of bonding. So he was just a great inspiration. And then getting a chance to play for him, you know, he taught me a lot about, you know, being mentally tough. You know, he put me in environments that I had to, you know, learn from at, at an early age. Uh, of course, sometimes we don't like being in those environments, we like being comfortable. But he, he put me in situations that I was uncomfortable. And so I had to learn how to take criticism and uh, be able to, you know, come back from it. Uh, but that was just a great you know, encouragement to me moving forward because it carried over, you know, to, you know, all of, my days, especially at Florida State, uh, getting not getting a chance to play uh, quarterback at least for three years, but you know he gave me an opportunity to uh, gave me an opportunity to learn how to play uh, uh, play multiple sports. He was my basketball coach and right. he coached me football. He wasn't a particular coach, but a specific coach, um, a position coach, I should say. Um, but so. But he was always there. How beneficial was it when you being that you lived close enough to home, especially maybe during your first couple of years at Florida State and even during your junior year, which, again, people don't remember. A lot of people don't remember the your first year starting. You had some struggles early in the year there before before you really started to get it cooking uh, during that Georgia Tech game and such. How 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 nice was it to know that if you needed to drive home on a Tuesday night and ha have dinner with the family or go see somebody from high school that could help you out when you don't during those times of struggle that you were close enough to be able to do that where a lot of kids maybe couldn't do that because of the, of the travel restrictions. Well, that was one of the reasons I um, wanted to stay closer to home was because it gave off of that type of support. Um, and there's a school that was thriving and a very good school that afforded me that opportunity. So uh, that was one of the factors of me going to Florida State was to be able to uh, stay a little bit closer to home. And, you know, if I needed to run up to Thomasville to see mom and dad or someone or vice versa, you know, they can come down and uh, right. watch games uh, and or pop in here and there. Uh, you know, that was part of the plan. So I was grateful that I had that opportunity. All right, let's get to let's get to um, 
kind of your 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 junction in 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 the world that we that we live in now of nil and decisions and all that good stuff. By the way, how much would Charlie? How much would Charlie Ward have been worth today in nineteen in in two thousand and twenty three if nil would have been around? Charlie Ward would have been a, worth a lot of coin at Florida State University in his senior year. That's for sure, huh? Uh, yes. I mean, we'd have been able to, you know, take care of a lot of people. Um, <laughs> you know, parents probably wouldn't have had to uh, use their credit card to to travel to my right. to the games, but you know, it all worked out um, for us. But definitely would have enjoyed NIL. Are you a fan of kind of the whole NIL system of, of kind of how everything's evolved? Or do you think there ought to be some limitations on what, you know, a little bit of more, I won't say limitations, but a little more of regulation of kind of what's being allowed and maybe what isn't being allowed? Well, I'm not sure about the regulations as far as, you know, I think there should have been some guidelines early on, especially when it came to recruiting. Right. Uh, you know, you, you of course, everyone has to talk about NIL, and now everyone has a collective at their school. But I think it was, you know, very beneficial um, because those that are making, you know, say a big, big chunk of the change, are normally your more visible uh, players, uh, whether it's on um, social media, right, or you know, on the field. But I think it just opened up the opportunity for others for all student athletes to be able to use their name, image, and likeness uh, in other spaces, you know, when it comes to paid intern internships uh, right. and types of things are very, very important um, or paid advertisements, whatever that may be, uh, however small it may be, but it's an opportunity for them to earn something um, outside of what they were getting, you know, with um, the, the university. So I just think it was, you know, something that needed to be done. Um, I mean, taking it to the next level of making them an employee and all that, I'm not sure about that part. Right. But I think the NIL space is a good space uh, for the student athletes to be able to, you know, have that buffer where, you know, it's not like having a, uh, you know, on your being on your own. Right. Uh, you do have that buffer of college and the support that you need uh, during that time to be able to help you uh, navigate your way and learn, you know, while you're still growing and maturing as an adult, young adult, as we call it. I could have seen Charlie Ward on the, on the Bill's bookstore sign at Guthrie's chicken back in the day, doing some NIL stuff for sure. With the... well, but that was, <laughs> some of that was happening anyway. It yep. was just, I just didn't have the rights to, to be able to capitalize on it. Correct. Right. I, I totally understand. All right. Let's take you to draft day 1994 in the NFL draft. Obviously, you know, Heisman Trophy winner. And there was obviously the 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 the, the thoughts of the mobile quarterback and the in the in the spread offense and all that was nowhere near what it is today back in the early 90s NFL style. I know obviously you were disappointed that that, that you didn't get drafted. Had things been Pretty much equal. Had you been a first or second round draft pick in the NFL, and obviously we knew you were a first round pick in the NBA, would your decision have been any different? Would you have gone to the NFL and given that a run before you went to the NBA, or or were you content on going to the NBA all along? No, I, I had options, and I, 
use those options. Um, you know, I continued to play basketball my senior year in college, which was part of the plan uh, of, of keeping my options open. Right. And that kind of threw me out of the run as far as being 100% committed to the NFL process uh, because I didn't uh, stop playing basketball my senior year. Uh, but I was a senior point guard on that team, and mm -hmm. I felt like my leadership as a senior guard was needed, um, and I wanted to do it. So I did it, and you know I didn't wasn't making it a business decision. I was just following my heart, and God, uh, you know, allowed me to have options, and so I was grateful for that. Uh, but you know, I did some of the things to to get drafted. But I knew going in that I would be a third or fourth round pick, uh, regardless of what I did. Um, it was just that was just the times. Um, right. And I understood that. And so I made the statement that if I didn't get drafted in the first round of NFL draft, then, you know, I would consider my other options. Um, and so that meant that no one felt like I was worth the first, first round pick. Um, so. I didn't get drafted, even though um, the Kansas City Chiefs did call in the fifth round uh, to ask if I got drafted at that point, you know, would I come to camp? And I told them I couldn't guarantee them that I would because if I got drafted in the first round in, in an NBA draft, then, you know, I was going to go to the NBA. So it's still, it's still stunning to me. That a team, even back in that in, in that time when the the value of, of what you what you were able to do on the field was not appreciated, that a team did not spend a third or fourth round pick, even if they held your rights for a year and you didn't play for a year, it's stunning to me that a team didn't do that and have a little bit more foresight with as many smart guys that there are in the NFL to not somebody to say, hey, I'm gonna I'm gonna use a you know third or fourth round pick even if he doesn't play for me for a year just to see if he would play a year later that, that to me that just is stunning that, that that never happened well i mean i i think once it got to a certain point um no one's going to take that risk um at, at that juncture third or fourth round um but you know i got drafted in baseball twice right uh with with that similar mind frame um but i mean i i understood it it was yeah. no big for me let's go back to your basketball days obviously you know you made the comments that you wanted to stay and play your senior year basketball because of your leadership and your skills talk about the the joy that you that that brought came to you Rising yet the, the FSU basketball program to the level that you brought it to when you finishing up. Obviously, you got we were new to the ACC. F football had been well established for several years that they were dominant, but basketball had always been good, not great. But boy, you, Sam Cassell, Doug Edwards, Bob Sura, all those guys came together the, your last couple of years there and had had just tremendous runs under Coach Kennedy. And uh, I remember being in the in the in the in the Civic Center the night you guys beat North Carolina the first time when Byron Wells hit the jump shot in the corner to to beat North Carolina. Just talk about your joy of of elevating the basketball program as well to such elite levels when you were there. Well, I mean, I was one of um, the the whole, 
And, you know, we all had to carry our own weight in a lot of ways in order for us to be able to elevate uh, the program once we got into the ACC because we knew the competition would be different yeah. uh, than Metro Conference. Um, but the talent was, you know, I thought in Metro Conference, when you start looking at all the guys that came out of the Metro Conference during that time were some NBA oh, yeah. players as well. Louisville, um, those kind of – yeah, all those – yeah, great teams. Quite, quite a few uh, NBA quality players that came from the Metro Conference that I you know I competed against um, in, in college and professionally. Uh, so – but we had to, you know, continue to improve. You know, when you start talking about Bob Sir and Doug Edwards, Doug was there, you know, throughout. Do Rodney Dobart was there right. you know, throughout. Uh, but we brought in Sam Cassell uh, and Doug and um, Bob Sir right uh, throughout the process of us building it, um, and of course all of us were first round picks, which was crazy. Uh, we had four guys that were first round picks that were on that that was on that team, right? Uh, but you know it was it was just like anything else. You know you have to acquire talent, you have to acquire good chemistry, guys that buy in to what you're trying to get accomplished. And we were afforded that, you know, with some uh, very good players uh, and then players that play, all of us played our role. Right. Uh, best of our ability. And so we were able to have some success. Yeah, you guys were the perfect mixture. You were the kind of the ball distributor. Sam was the score. Bob was a score. You had Doug Edwards, a good low post player. Andre Reed was kind of a center. You had, a, you know, you had some role players off the bench. You guys were just the perfect mesh of, different skill sets and teamwork and chemistry and coach Kennedy obviously put it all together. And, and you guys had such a great, uh, you guys had two tremendous runs there your junior and senior year for sure. Um, all right, let's talk a little bit. Let's go back to the kind of the, 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 the onset of the fast break offense, obviously your junior year, you, you, things are going, going up and down. You're, you guys are winning, but you, they're having some, you guys are having some good success on offense. All of a sudden in the Georgia tech game, you're behind late, you decide we should, we're going to go up tempo. We're going to go fast break. We're going to go shotgun. Talk about the at the, the start of that, and after you had success in that Georgia Tech game, at what point did I mean did, was that early next that following week that everybody came to the decision? Hey, this is the way we're going to play from now on. Or how did that conversation go between you and the coaching staff? Um. Well, we. I mean, we we that was our two minute offense that we were running, and we were behind quite a bit of quite a bit uh, in that fourth quarter. So we needed to uh, push the pace a little bit more. And believe it or not, we only ran like three pay plays. Uh, so it wasn't a lot of plays that were being called. Right. Uh, just running a couple of plays here and there. And the others were, you know, make a play in a sense. Uh, and then we were able to, you know, fortunate to get the offside kick after we scored a couple of times or, and to get the ball back, uh, defense all year were they were keeping us in games because you know even during that game I had like three interceptions, so it was a tough tough uh, tough go, uh, put us in that bad situation. But I was grateful that I was able to uh, help you know bring us out in a sense. Yeah, uh, quarterback uh, then turn the football over that fourth quarter, but. You know, the next week we came back and 
you know, they made a decision that we were going to play that way. Uh, we added some some more plays and uh, during the course of the week, and it progressed over the rest of the year to where we went no huddle, um, and it did a lot for, you know, the, the defense, uh, meaning it, it dictated what they were going to have to run, right. no huddle operation, um, and it helped not just myself, but all of us, uh, you know, be able to see it. And if teams are going to disguise, you know, what they were trying to do, then they were going to have to do a little bit quicker. And we could also recognize what, what they were doing. So it just gave us a, a little bit better advantage. Um, and we continued to do it uh, throughout the rest of the year. And it was relatively new uh, on the scene. So a lot of teams hadn't done the no huddle. Uh, most times people huddle up uh, during that time. Uh, but it was something that gave us an advantage and we were able to take advantage of it. Now, a lot of people say, well, you were better the second part of the year in the shotgun. Well, it might have been true. Uh, but I also had a lot of experience uh, going into the second half of the year. Right. Because uh, my first, first four or five games were – Really, I mean, my first year was the first year that I actually played, uh, you know, some live competition in a game. In three so years. I, I, I mean, it had been was, three years, really, since you'd played, really, right? Or a quarterback. I was yeah. the punter um, right. one year. But just live competition where you have to read defenses and right. do the plan. Um, you know, I, pre I prepare for all those things, but not actually – I didn't actually have the opportunity to do that um before because I had two guys in front of me right. and when I got in the game you know we were running some basic plays um right. but it was more experienced than anything else you know I mean the defense and offense did help but it was more experienced than anything else learning from my mistakes and that was very very important talking I know it's going to lead to my next question about the talent level and, and, and the practices Talk about give the give the fans a sense of and I and I can attest to some of this too. The practices on a Tuesday or Wednesday, at, you know, full prep, full pads, the offense versus the defense, the ones versus the ones, they were incredible. When you and when you combine the talent level that was on both sides of the ball back in the early '90s, there with with Derek and all the oh, I mean the you can name 25 guys that played in the NFL on both sides of the ball during those, during those couple of years, just talk about the talent level of practice and how practice was so much for a lot of you guys, probably harder than the games. A lot of times, a lot of weeks. Yes. It was very competitive in practice. The one-on-ones were always very spirited. Um, two minute drill. Um, we're always spirited. Um, I mean, you think about our scout teams, uh, the guys who were on scout teams at that time, you know, we're fair. We know them today. They were professional uh, athletes. Yeah. And so it was, you know, something that we always enjoyed the competition. You know, it was, it was always the case where for me, they were, I was always down, um, you know, in the pocket. So, they didn't want to chase chase me uh, those <laughs> things. They would always, you know, run by and say, "Well, I've got you." But I hear, hear the same thing happens with Jordan Travis uh, this day and age. Uh, so, but it's all you know, all in good fun. 
you know, once it's all said and done. But goal line was always very, 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 very spirited. Oh, yeah. Because, you know, offensively, we had gases on the line. Oh, yeah. Uh, they had up-downs or whatever it was that Coach Andrews had for them. And so it was always, you know, very, very spirited uh, goal line set sessions. Oh, I, I remember! I remember those goal line sessions, man. It would be it would be a war, man. Coach Rick against Coach Andrews, and you guys were talking so much smack to each other between plays. It was unbelievable. Yeah. So those were those were always good, 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 um, good camaraderie for the yeah. Group. That's the other part. Uh, yes. Competition. <laughs> For sure, for sure. All right, so a couple more, and I'll get you out of here. Obviously, rivalries is a big thing. With 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 obviously during your career, you've been involved in some epic rivalries. Obviously, game of the century at Notre Dame, um, the rivalry with, with Miami and Florida. We are talking to you during the Miami week here uh, this week. Just talk about the from a collegiate perspective. Just the different level of rivalries. Obviously, to me, back in the early 90s, Miami was a little bit more of a rivalry than Florida. They're both great, but at the time, Miami was the was was so so dominant as well. Just talk about the being involved in such great rivalries with guys that you've probably played some high school ball with, but just in the state of Florida in general, the rivalry between Florida State, Miami, Florida State, and Florida. Um, I mean, you know, it was always real. The part about, you know, on the field is totally different than off the field because a lot of times, I mean, a lot of these guys played together, played in high school together, played against each other in high school. I know I played against, I played with a few guys uh, that went to, um, you know, all-star games. Right. Uh, that went, you know, Miami or Florida. So, I mean, off the field. Healthy respect. Healthy, healthy respect. respect. I mean, you know, it's all a, and fun. You you want to win the game so you can have bragging rights uh, for that lead for that year at least. And you know, it's always spirited. Uh, I like to use that word, but it was um, you know the people in the stands were spirited. Um, the guys on the on the field uh, got after it. Uh, there are a lot of pro players on the field going. Back, back and forth. The competition right. was fierce. Um, even the games were, you know, most of the games were close because of, you know, the oh, competition. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The field. And so junior year, you know, we weren't able to, you know, overcome, you know, some red zone issues that we had. We moved the football, we just couldn't score. Uh, but senior year, we were able to overcome uh, with the late Devin Bush interception to seal right. it right uh, but for 21 points in the first half uh, which was enough and our defense was solid all year um, they only gave up 10 points that game so it was just um when you talk about robberies you know the team that makes the least amount of mistakes and the team that makes the big plays normally win uh, those types of games um and but you're always prepared and ready because no matter what the records look like, you know, the teams are going to be competitive. And people don't realize 1993 when Florida state won the national title for their first ever national title quarterback by this man right here, 
non-conference schedule, Notre Dame, Miami, Florida, all non-conference. I mean, obviously they lose the game at Notre Dame. Then Charlie probably makes one of the best plays in Florida State history that, again, some people, some don't remember. Third and 10 at the swamp, he throws a wheel route to Warwick Dunn up the sideline for about 75-yard touchdown to seal that game. And obviously you still have to play your ACC schedule, but playing a non-conference schedule like that, that was, again, something Florida State and Coach Bowden was known for, not afraid to ever play anybody. You had to play Florida and Miami every year, that which was both non-conference at the time. Just that, the the the, the gauntlet that that uh, Florida State had to go through, and then you obviously lose the the, the epic game up at Notre Dame. But just uh, just that scheduling by Coach Bowden was something that also was such a an allure for so many guys who want to go play there, right? Uh, yes. I mean, you know, we we always played those teams, you know, non non conference uh, at that time. You know, Miami and Florida, as you mentioned, were non-conference and you know we we played tough tough teams Notre Dame was senior year um and but you know, when it's all said and done we had the teams to be able to compete at a high level so regardless of who we played and where we played we were going to go and compete and we had a team that could win you know on the road at home right uh, so it was one of those deals where regardless of who you play you got to go and compete and execute at a high level. Um, and unfortunately for us, my senior year, we weren't able to overcome a a bad second quarter um, to come up with the victory. Uh, but we were able to, you know, put together you know, 11 other good games. Right. Uh, one, uh, one in the regular season, and then we were for the opportunity to play in the national championship against Nebraska, and we ended up winning that game. Right. Uh, 18 to 16 uh, in, you know, I guess, dramatic type fashion in a lot of ways. Talk about. And, and yeah, yeah, for sure. So and speaking of rivalries, you had a couple epic NBA rivalries. You would you, the Knicks in the heat when you're t- every time you see Coach Gundy, Van Gundy, do you still do you still give him a bunch of he- a bunch of heck about hanging on to Alonzo Morning's leg under the pile there? <laughs> in the classic uh, fight with the Heat, <laughs> uh, we just knew that after. I mean, with that, we knew he had our back. That's all right. <laughs> and you know, unfortunately, that was the the case. But he's a he's a competitor as well, and you know, he was doing the best he could with those Giants <laughs> uh, trying to break up. But you know, coaches, that's who he was, and that's the way reason why we played the way we played um so grateful for him is there a difference between the competitive rivalry in the in, a, in professional sports as opposed to college or is it pretty much the same you know obviously in the pros they're all they're, you guys are all adult grown men with families and you know all that good all that stuff is the competitiveness any different at that at the two levels no it's the same i mean once you get out there and compete on the court like it's very similar, you know. I had friends that were on the Heat, um, Bruce Bowen and I. You know, we would go out to eat sometimes before the game, right? Um, or after the game. I'm sorry, after the game or the night before the game. So it was, I mean, it's just what it was on the court. Um, you competed at a high level, and 
you continue to be friends. I mean, that's just <laughs> what it is. You fight, you fight for two and a half hours, then you go have a, you go have some dinner after the game. Right. <laughs> that's fun. How, how did you enjoy living in New York City, kind of the mecca of all that stuff? And you're pretty quiet, uh, you know, a pretty pretty low 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 spirited guy when it comes to going out and socializing. I would imagine, and I'm sure you had some teammates that like to live the, the lifestyle a little bit in New York City. How challenging was that for you to be able to want to make sure they didn't do stuff too much over the edge that hurt the team? Maybe that maybe they're living too much in the lifestyle. Living in New York City, how did that blend work out when you were the kind of the the the, the, the quarterback and the point guard of the Knicks? Well, the the uh, professional lifestyle, especially in New York, you know, we were afforded a lot of opportunities. Um, that's what New York does um, with shows, um, premieres, all those right. different types of things that you have access to, and that was all great. Um, and you know, it also afforded other opportunities for those that want to do other things. Um, I was just not that guy. I mean, I didn't go right. and hang out, uh, you know, at bars and clubs and those types of things. Um, but how, others cha did. how challenging was it to have to maybe talk to a guy that you could tell was maybe getting a little too wild at the nightlife, to, but you knew, boy, we need him, that we need his contribution to the team. Is that a fine line of talking to a guy to say, hey, settle down with the nightlife and we really need you here? No, I mean, I didn't get into those guys and what they did. As long as they brought what they needed to bring, most of the times that was the case. Right. Uh, guys who may have liked to hang out um, all time, time, times of night, uh, but they came to practice. I mean, practice might have been a little different. Uh, but, you know, when it didn't hurt us in the sense of us uh, being one team, uh, them following what we what we needed uh, them to do. Um, but, you know, if there, it was something that needed to be addressed. I'm sure it, it was addressed uh, in some form or fashion. You know, if there were issues right uh, during that time, you know, we didn't we we had access to sports sites, psychologists um and other you know fields uh, and some of those were extreme cases um, but you know when it's all said and done we just had to come and play as one unit each and every night and I mean I didn't get down I couldn't understand how guys could get in late and right. then go out you know but that's what they did and wanted to do and there was nothing I could say to stop them all right, last question. I'll get you out of here. You've now transitioned to the coaching world. Uh, you've been coaching for a bunch of years now, football, basketball, and Charlie Ward won the state championship in 2022 at Florida High in Tallahassee. Talk about the joy that uh, you 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 experienced being a coach on the other side of the of the of the ledger there a little bit from coaching a state champion, high school kids, and just the 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 joy of, of being on that side of the world. Uh, well, it's been a, a true blessing to be able to um, share uh, my experiences with the young student athletes that I've coached over the years and be able to help help them uh, with exposure um, to seeing things that they may not have seen otherwise. 
uh, using my network um, to be able to help support uh, the, the the program, um, and and so it's just been and also been able to you know bring in coaches that are aligned as well to be able to help our kids develop and grow. Um, it's been a great joy to be able to help those, you know, student athletes grow in that area. Um, because, you know, when it's all said and done, that was someone did it for me. Um, and I was grateful that I'm grateful that I have an opportunity to be able to give back in that regard, uh, to be able to help, uh, open the eyes of, open the eyes of, um, the student athletes that I've coached. Well, Charlie, it's been a real pleasure. I really appreciate it. Charlie's also the author of the book, The Athletes. So definitely go find that on your favorite uh, book outlet. Keep up the great work, Charlie, on and off the uh, off the court and uh, on your charitable work. You do a lot of great stuff all over the place for a lot of people, and we really appreciate it. And Florida State legend, 1993 Heisman Trophy winner, national champion, state champion coach. Appreciate the time. Awesome, awesome visiting with you, sir. I appreciate it, Jason. It's good seeing you. You too. Take care and have a great uh, let's go kick Miami's. You know what this week too, buddy. <laughs> oh, those. Take care, Charlie. All righty. Thanks again for listening to the Powers on Sports podcast. Remember to subscribe, rate, and review on whatever podcast platform you are hearing us tonight. Remember, you can reach out to us on Twitter at Sports. So we'd love to hear your feedback, comments, suggestions for future episodes. And again, thanks for all the support. Remember to share the podcast with your friends and colleagues, and we'd love to see you back next time for the next episode of the Powers on Sports podcast. Have a great week.